Welcome to Barbecue Booze and Bullshit. You've just passed through a wormhole into another realm. Do not be alarmed because you are not in danger. The time-space continuum is suspended while you focus on the entertaining and informative content about to be unleashed. As we begin this journey together, we'll be discussing life and the fascinating stories around the great Pacific Northwest. If you're not ready for some fun, you can check out, but you can never leave. Live from Gig Harbor, Washington, it's barbecue, booze, and bullshit. Welcome to the very first barbecue, booze, and bullshit. Uh, my name's Heath Hollinsby, and I'm here with a co-host uh, who's who's kind of the, the brains behind this operation, Mr. Grimmer. Yes, thank you so much, Heath. We are so excited to here to be there today for the launch of this great little new podcast. We've got a great guest with us today we yeah. want to introduce you to. Heath, take it over. Yeah, so we've got uh, Bob Ingram here. And, and I'm going to say, before we go, we're recording here in Barbecue to You, right here in Gig Harbor. It's the one of the few places where when you uh, pull into the parking lot, you smell amazing barbecue, which is something, having lived in the South for over a decade, um, man, it's, it's, a, it's a nice smell. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, not, oh. like a, it's yeah. not like a McRib where you don't know what you're getting into. You, you walk into the parking lot, you know this is going to be good. But I will also say, part of us filming in a, a recording here in an afternoon in, a, in an established restaurant is that you're going to hear some noises. You might hear dingers going off and bells and people yelling and bottles breaking. And and uh, that's just part of the ambience. And occasionally the wood smoke will come right through in front of us. and <laughs> We'll be happy. Yeah, we'll be happy. But, yeah, you're so right. I mean, uh, we don't have this kind of barbecue in Gig Harbor, and it's just no. taken off like crazy. This is the most popular spot. It's just just great to have yeah. it here. We're so stoked that we're going to have Gary on here in a little bit to oh, talk yeah. about what yeah. this is like. But, uh, yeah, so first guest, author. Robert E. Ingram, Bob Ingram, to those who know him and love him. And uh, man, thank you for being on this. You're the first guest here. Yes. Wow, what an honor to be <laughs> numero uno on this, uh, <laughs> on this show that's going to be a big deal in Gig Harbor. I really believe that. Yeah, you look um, back. Come, it's going to be famous. Live from, from barbecue to you. Yeah. yeah. To talk this, about baseball. This place. Talk about baseball, yeah. barbecue, or whatever else. Both we want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out how many times I just, I'm going to say the word bullsh, uh, and then that way I don't have to edit in all the 1K, you know, tone, beep out tones, because that just gets so tough. Oh, but, uh, God. So, um, so, Kurt, you actually introduced me to Bob's yes. writing by yes. getting me a copy of the book, which was unbelievable, because yes. I'm not, I'm yeah. a soccer guy, right. and I like hockey. Yeah. Baseball, I'm learning to love, and I know, like, if you're in yeah. the Northwest, you got to at least appreciate baseball and it, if you're an american you got to appreciate baseball and the history yeah but but yeah tell me about this connection how you came across bob how'd you guys get to know each other and then yeah. let's hear about bob's story well bob's a great networker you know he had a whole career in marketing and i i do a lot of networking in the community and we hit it we got together at various networking events and became friends and and uh, he'd already written a couple books that he'd shared with me and right. he'll, he'll share that with us too but but I knew that he had this passion for baseball and I, I played baseball all my life all through high school and uh, loved the sport but mm. it gotten really disillusioned over the years watching the major league baseball it got kind of boring and long and things yeah. like that and Bob had some really great thoughts about that and then then he started working on this book and he started sharing some of the early um, versions of it yeah. and letting us proof, proofread it for him and so we got a taste of it and and um, and then he f he came out with the the, the published book, yeah. gave it uh, out to all his friends, and then we really discovered where Bob was all about and where he came <laughs> from with his perspective on baseball. That's why they call him Baseball Bob, by the way. Oh, is that why? Yeah, that makes so, sense. So that's how we met. 
Actually, Gary Parker uh, dubbed me that. Uh, okay. I was not called Baseball Bob until Gary Parker, the owner of the restaurant here, and started calling me Baseball Bob. I started calling him Big Smokey. Uh, <laughs> That's a great some good barbecue here. So Big Smokey and Baseball Bob became friends, yeah. and the uh, rest is history, as they yeah. say. Okay, so tell me your background in marketing. Let's, so, let's so, do that. Let's just give that a little like kind of skim over because we want to talk baseball with you more than anything, right? And your books. Yeah, I was sales and marketing. I uh, got out of college with a degree in psychology, and people weren't exactly waving uh, $1,000 bills at me saying, come work for me. Uh, More like so, singles. There was actually a baseball connection with it because I was out of college looking for work, yeah. and my one of my baseball coaches was an insurance agent. Okay. And he said, hey, we're hiring. And, you know, what little kid wants to grow up being an insurance agent? We all want to be baseball players, firemen, policemen, whatever. Yeah. I wanted to be a baseball player. But um, since that didn't pan out for me, I wasn't good enough. I was pretty good, but every little town has somebody that's pretty good. Sure. Uh, it didn't pan out, so I went to work as an insurance agent in sales and marketing and transferred that over to some other sales and marketing but basically yeah. I was able, able to earn, earn a living uh, with sales and marketing oh, okay so that's how that story and, started and then I wrote a couple of books uh, I wrote a book called marketing by delight and I wrote a book I co-authored a book called your ultimate sales force so I had oh. two books prior to prior to the genius who saved baseball but the genius who saved baseball was my first venture into fiction, and that's a whole another world. Yeah, did you think 10 years ago that you'd have a book sitting on this table with your name on it that you authored, <laughs> a fiction book? No, yeah. no way. How did that come about? Well, it came about because I was literally yelling at my television set <laughs> one too many nights, and my wife said, shut up. <laughs> I was yelling, shut up about pitch count, exit velocities, and launch angles as I watch baseball games. Yeah. Because as we know, analytics have taken over our world yeah. pretty much, as yeah. well as, as baseball, and yeah. you can't even watch a baseball game today without talking about launch angles, exit velocities, and pitch counts, like a pitcher's arms going to fall off after 100 pitches. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I was literally yelling at my television, and I had the idea for this book, and it came to me like a lightning bolt oh. in about a 20-minute period of time. And it then took me a little bit over two years to write it and finish it, yeah. mm -hmm. but it came to me in a moment. And a moment after yeah. yelling at my television. Wow. What game was it? That, do you remember what you, which one you were watching that you were yelling at? I don't know because I yelled at multiple games. <laughs> you just had numerous games yeah. on that you were just screaming at. Yeah. yeah. But it was this yeah. one when the, the, the idea came to me. And I can't remember yeah. who was playing at the time. And then, so you mentioned the analytics. And so this is what the, really what the book is really about, right? Is challenging all these analytics that's going on in, in, in baseball, higher tier baseball these days? Exactly. It, and the way, I, the analogy that I, I like to make is it's much like jazz. Yeah. If hmm. you overthink jazz or you s try to script jazz, yeah. it just doesn't work. Yeah. Jazz is a vibe. Yeah. Baseball's that way to some degree. Yeah. Um, yes, there are statistics and analytics. Even a batting average is an analytic. Hmm. But if you overthink it and the pendulum goes too far, you have players hesitating a millisecond yeah. before they make the move for that ball. Yeah. And you're dead. Yeah. You know, you're, you're lost if you yeah. hesitate. So I think, it, I think it's detrimental to the sport. Yeah. I really believe that the overuse of analytics is detrimental to the sport. Yeah. And so that was the, that was the crux of the book yeah. Yeah. and the crux of the fiction story. And so yeah. who's the genius in the book? Who's the genius? The genius who saved baseball. And first of all, let me tell you that that was not the original title of the oh. book. The original title was The Boy Who Saved Baseball. Huh. After I'd completely finished the manuscript, 
I should have checked this sooner, but I checked to make sure the title wasn't taken. Lo and behold, it was. No way. It was taken. Oh, so wow. I was really, really bummed. Um, but I, it was they started yelling at the computer screen. I started so you have yelling a new problem. at everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it was a blessing in disguise, though. Yeah. It truly was. Yeah. Because the Genius Who Saved Baseball is a much better title. Mm. And oftentimes when I'm doing a book signing, I'll have people walk by and I've got my signage up about the book. And yeah. they'll walk by and it's a conversation starter. Yeah. They'll say, so who's the genius? <laughs> who's the genius to save baseball? Yeah. And I'll usually, my typical response is, well, the genius is one of the characters in my story. I'm just the dummy that wrote the book. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's a great conversation starter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the genius is one of the characters. He's a 14-year-old boy in the story. And he, uh, he has theories that um, basically throws analytics to the curb. And he sets about to prove to us, he's already, he's a genius, so he's already in college. He's mm -hmm. taking advanced statistics. Okay. And he sets out to prove to his statistics professor that the overuse of analytics is detrimental to the sport. Hmm. The professor doesn't buy it. Professor gives him a C minus. Oh. Kids never got below an A in his life. So he's really bummed, but he's undeterred. Sure. Keeps working on his theories. In the meantime, in the story, there's a new team in Major League Baseball in Nashville. And it's owned by a larger-than-life, charismatic country music star. Okay. This country music star tells his executive team, hey, guys, I want to win right away. I don't want to wait eight or ten years to be a contender. Hmm. So you guys figure it out. They get stuck. They can't figure it out. Meanwhile, the owner gets wind of this kid's theories and says, hey, kid, come on in. Let's hear what you have to say. Yeah. Kid comes in, pitches his ideas. Long story short, the owner decides to go with the kids' theories lock, stock, and barrel. And okay. the story takes you through the first two seasons of the new team as they throw analytics to the curb and they go yeah. old school on the rest of the league. Yeah. Hmm. So that's kind of the gist of the story without giving too much away. Yeah, don't give it all yeah. away because we want yeah. people to get this book. Now, tell, me, tell me about some of the challenges uh, with publishing a book. You know, I mean, writing, you know, you have to write several uh, drafts ahead of time. You're working with your publisher. He's giving you ideas. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, that was, that was a real interesting experience because I was a flat-out rookie. And, mm. and I thought I had a pretty good story when I finished the manuscript, but I didn't know anything about the publishing industry. But I hired a publishing coach to walk me through. Okay. And as he told me, he said, Bob, once you write your story, there's a hundred little decisions that aren't really little decisions that need to be made. Hmm. What kind of font? What's the layout like? What's the quality of the paper? Sure. We're talking hardback or softback, soft cover. Um, many, many more decisions that are big decisions. So it, it just, as I struggled through all of that, I was just really fortunate that I hired somebody to walk me through. Yeah walk me through it all yeah I, could, I couldn't have done it on my own trying to find a great editor a great somebody to design the cover give you an example with the editor my, my book is 38 chapters so when I was finished with the book and he went through it he said the following to me he said Bob chapters 2 through 38 there's never a lag in interest it flows beautifully I love it hmm. but chapter one it's kind of boring. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to start off with a snore fest. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. You want, yeah. To, you want to come in strong, right? That, yeah. that was a little ouch. Yeah. Um, but I knew. Did you agree? 
I, I agreed. Okay. I totally agreed. Yeah. He was right. Hmm. And what happened was I got, I got in, I, I was setting the tone for the story with the first chapter, but it was boring. I think my first sentence was something along the lines of, it was a warm autumnal day <laughs> as they walked into the coffee shop. And then it was blah, 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 yeah, blah yeah. for about yeah. five or six pages. Yeah. And yeah. he said, no, you've got to get right into the story. Ah. So instead, I rewrote the first chapter and immediately the two main characters got into a little sort of a shouting match. The first two or three sentences where the reader was brought into this disagreement right away. Oh, wow. And it hooked the reader from the beginning. So it was, that was the best advice I could have ever received. Yeah. That chapter one was kind of boring. Yeah. Well, and what amazing testimony to like, mm-hmm. man, those sometimes, you know, anyone who's a creative, like even me, I've got a couple books and an album. You've, you, there's this sense of it's your baby. And when somebody starts calling your baby ugly, mm. <laughs> it's, it's not the most fun thing. But you're yeah. also grateful that somebody like that was so honest to go, Hey, this might sting a bit, but like, you'll have a significantly better book if you just listen here, yeah. and, you know, and to have the courage to actually call out what he was seeing there. Yeah, I think that's going to be a great benefit to you going forward with any future books, don't you? Having had that experience with that chapter one. Mm. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. And I also have learned from some other more experienced authors some things that moving forward I would do differently. For instance, I tended in, in this book to sometimes I use tags too often to identify who was speaking. Mm. It's not always necessary. Sure. Mm. Sometimes the reader already knows who's saying this based on the yeah. tone and how the conversation's gone. So I tagged a little too much. I would say Kurt said or Heath said yeah, yeah, yeah. where I didn't need to. Okay. Yeah. So I learned that. Yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. So yeah. do you think analytics um, is detrimental to all sports or specifically to baseball? Or too much analytics because, you know, like I said, I'm a soccer guy, I'm a hockey guy, and they don't typically talk unless you're pretty deep into the weeds with some of these commentators on a natural broadcast. You're not getting into as much analytics as I would hear or like you see the people at baseball games that have these full on boards that they're taking notes on where everything's hitting and who's moving. Why is it so prone to baseball that I feel like there's a lot of analytics more than other sports? That's a great question. And I I think the answer is baseball has always um, lended itself more to analytics and numbers. It's a numbers sport. You know, the most home runs, Babe Ruth had 60 for so many years. You know, the last guy to hit over 400 was Ted Williams. Oh, wow. You know, there's so many different numbers associated with baseball that I don't think that... As numbers aren't associated as, as closely to sure. other sports. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. And I wonder, too, if some of that stuff does take out, like, you know, I, when I say, when, when, when we talk about audio engineering, it's a mixture. Like, when, you, when you're dealing with a really good sound man at a concert, it's a balance of schooling and EQing and compression and dynamics. But there's also this art of... You just got to have this feel that doesn't make sense on paper. It's a balance of art and science. And I almost wonder if that's kind of what you're getting at. It's like sometimes we focus so heavily on the science side that we actually like pigeonhole some of these players or we're looking at data so strongly that you're like, yeah, it does read that way, but it's not how it's playing out in real life. It just, the numbers don't give a completely accurate picture of what's happening. That's totally true. It sort of gets back to what I was saying about the jazz. Okay. Yeah. You know, with it's you're right. It's a blend of of um, you know maybe some a little bit of analytics. Yeah. But also it's an art form. So it's yeah. it's an artistic yeah. thing as well. So there's some type of balance there, and it's sort of one of those things where you know it when you see it when it's right, and when one side gets out of whack and there's too much emphasis on the analytics. 
it becomes painfully obvious. So if you were called today, if Kurt called you this afternoon and said, Bob, I, uh, I found out there's an open position and you've got it if you want it as MLB commissioner, <laughs> what changes, like what would be some of your top A level uh, baseball changes that you would make immediately? Oh my goodness, that would be a dream job, I'll tell <laughs> you. <laughs> I, would, I would not be real popular because I would change a lot of things. Mm. I would probably basically use maybe going back to about 1970 as my as, as my where I'd want to go. Hmm. Uh, I'd probably eliminate the designated hitter. Oh yeah. I don't like the designated yeah. hitter rule. Yeah. Uh, probably be quite a few other things I would, I would do. Why the designated hitter? If that, that's the first one that came to your mind, like, mm-hmm. why? What, what, what has that done, you think, negatively to the game? Well, those of us who are old-school baseball purists like to have the pitcher come to bat, and the manager has different strategic decisions that he has to make. Okay. So, you know, am I going to leave this pitcher in for another couple innings because he's coming up to bat next inning or am I going to make a double switch and replace the pitcher and another fielder Mm -hmm. Uh, so there's it's it's a higher strategic uh, more strategery if I can use that if I can coin that (laughs) there'll be more strategery involved can I I tell you one thing I noticed that I would be curious about if you were MLB commissioner yeah so uh, I think you and I think have season tickets to our sounders yeah it's an easy commitment. 18 games yeah. home, yeah. 30, I think 35, 36 throughout the whole season. That's right. That's right. 650 million games a year <laughs> for an MLB team. That's a, that's a heavy commitment. I mean, are there people that, that will watch every single, what is it, 170-something games? 162 games. games. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big commitment when baseball season's yeah. like plus playoffs. Plus playoffs, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and look how long the games are. Some games, you know, there's no time limit on these games. No, I mean, yeah. they're... Yeah. I mean, is that something that, like, you think will ever change? Or do you think, like, will they ever get down to a 90-game season? Or I think sure hope not. No? I, <laughs> think would, I think that would be terrible. Really? Yes. Okay. And, okay. and here's why. Because there's a, uh, there's a, there's a saying that, that I've heard that says you can't fool the season. Hmm. You can't fool the season. In other words, the good quality team will come out on top over the course of a season. But if you get into a 90-game season or an 80-game season – yeah, it's a shortened season, and the true best team probably will not emerge. Okay, you know, pitchers have to um, t- pace themselves so that their arms don't wear out sure. in late August or September or for playoff times. Yeah. so there's a whole strategy involved. Yeah, there's an in endurance aspect it's, it's that an, I didn't think it's about. It's an endurance aspect, absolutely, wow. and that's a crucial part of the game. And as I said, baseball is a game of numbers with yeah. historical yeah. numbers, like the most home runs, the best batting average. So think about what that would do to the game itself. Yeah. If you switched all of a sudden from 90 games to if you switch from 162 games to what you said, 90 games. Yeah. OK, somebody then might hit 410 and, and beat Ted Williams 406 record that he set in 162 games. So is that really is that really a good oh, comparison? Interesting. Yeah. So so yeah. the numbers would be thrown out, you know, the yeah. old It'd be like if Gary here yeah. at barbecue to you said, "Hey, <laughs> we're getting down to one side and one meat." Well, they, <laughs> yeah. They also they also changed it once. You may you may recall that it mm. used to be 154 games. Oh, I okay. didn't know that. And there's 162, so when Roger Maris hit 61 home runs, oh, yeah. It was in um, 
162 games, Babe Ruth hit 60 in 154 games. Okay. Okay. So there was an yeah. asterisk yeah. by Roger Maris's record. Mm-hmm. So that's an example, and that was only a difference of eight games. But if you yeah. cut it in half, say. Okay. So know. so 162 game season. You know, it, that's um, 81 home games uh, if you're a season ticket holder. But the games have slowed down so much because of all the, yeah. the devotion to analytics. So mm-hmm. what other changes would you make that would allow you to speed up the game? Well, the umpires can control a lot of that. Hmm. If you watch a game, you'll see the batters will step out of the batter's box, hmm. and they'll take a little stroll, and they'll take their gloves off, yeah. and then they'll rewrap their gloves. So you've got you know, 20, 30 seconds between pitches, yeah. maybe longer than that. Yeah. So a lot of the rule changes could be made to – eliminate those types of delays i'll give you for instance uh, one of my boys played american legion baseball and they had the same issue in american legion baseball and they made a rule where the batter could between pitches could not could not leave the batter's box okay he mm. couldn't go for a stroll eight or ten feet down yeah. towards third base yeah. and look up at the sky and readjust his his, <laughs> his gloves yeah yeah you know he had to stay in the batter's box and get ready for the pitch yeah um so the umpires could 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 call a strike you yeah. know if the batter is delaying yeah. the game like that taking a walk yeah the other thing that could shorten the game is if we got over this insane in my opinion this insane belief that pitchers can't pitch more than 100 pitches yeah. mm. or their arm falls off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see now a typical game will have maybe each team will have four or five pitchers. Yeah. So you've got nine, ten pitchers in a game. So that's pitchers got to warm up. Oh, yeah. Yep. You got to take time to come in from time, the bullpen. Yeah. Yep. If you compare it to games, say, in 1970, uh, back then, most of the pitchers tried to go the pitch a complete game yeah and it was a badge of honor yeah today hardly anybody pitches a complete no, game. no they don't i wish i could do that at my job like you know what yeah i can send about 30 emails a day and after that i'm done like, <laughs> i'm walking yeah. off the field for the day you know like <laughs> i'm done bring yeah. some bring back my pinch hitter to, or my batter to so uh another question is where do you think the um you know i, I think it was fascinating i took a buddy to a sounders game who is an avid baseball fan, and he commented, and I, th- I may have told you this before mm-hmm. we started, or maybe last time we met up, his comment that was most interesting between baseball and soccer was that baseball was very precise and that so much of soccer was based off the personality of the referee. And yeah. this guy was analytics at Boeing. He is a numbers guy. Mm-hmm. And he said, in soccer, you know, sometimes the ref will call a yellow card. Other refs will let it slide. Sometimes yeah. it'll be straight red. Uh the ball, like, yeah, kind of somewhere yeah. there. Throw it in kind of around here. Yeah. Baseball is very much yes. precision. It's yes. If the ball went out here, it's out. Yeah. If he hit touched here before this happened, it's out versus safe. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that was an interesting dynamic that I had never considered as well, is just how precise of, of a sport that was versus what I'm used yeah, to Excellent. Watching. Yeah, that, great, great point there. Yeah. 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 I, and, I, I yeah. hadn't thought about that. Yeah, just that yeah. is interesting yeah. between yeah. soccer and baseball. Yeah, it's like, no, it's not really depend. I mean, you might have umps that see... But, but there's not a big variance in like, no, that's a strike, and almost every umpire would call that a strike versus... Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe not. There's oh, really? Pitchers, pitchers would disagree with you. Um, <laughs> there's certain, yeah, there are certain umpires that are known to have, you know, maybe a tight strike zone. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe they'll, they won't give the high strike or the low strike. Okay. okay. And, but pitchers and catchers catch on to that pretty yeah. quickly you know and they yeah. know you know this umpire has a tendency to not call the pitch on the corner a strike interesting yeah yeah what would you um 
knowing as much as you do about baseball, what, what, what was the golden years of baseball? Are we living yeah. in it? Or if you could go back to any time, era, would it be the 1930s that you say that was when the game was at its peak? Is it now? Is it? In my opinion, it would probably be the 1960s. Okay. okay. Why? Yeah. Um, because of the, the rules had not yet been altered. The okay. games were still getting played in roughly two and a half hours, two hours, 15 minutes, two and a half hours. Wow. Um, the pitchers weren't um, pulled after 100 pitches. Um, you had, to, in my opinion, some of the greatest players to ever play the game in the 1960s. I happen to be a product of the 1960s. I was 10 years old in 1962, so you guys okay. can do the math. Right? I'm, <laughs> I'm an old guy, right? But I was 10 years old in 1962, and I was living in, outside of Washington, D.C. My Little League coach had an extra ticket for the Major League All-Star game, oh, which wow. was being played in Washington, D.C. that year. And I went to that game. I got autographs afterwards. And I looked back recently on the rosters, the players that were on that team, yeah. those National League and American League All-Star teams, 1962, the greats of the game. They we're talking Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, Roberto Clemente. Oh, um, man. You know, I mean, absolute, absolute Don Drysdale, Sandy Koufax. Oh, gosh. You know, absolute studs of the wow. game. Back, and that, in my opinion, the 1960s were the, were the golden years of wow. baseball. You know, you know, you make, you bring it. That's a great point because we there's an awful lot of great players in the Major League Baseball in today's world, and there's more teams, right? Mm, yeah. So, but because of the the way they play the game now, you know, all those analytics we're talking about is those great players oftentimes don't get to display all their talent mm. in a consistent way like they did back in the '60s. You you think that's part of it? Totally. I mean, look at look at the shift. Yeah. You know, when you watch a game and now they have um, sometimes they'll have three right you know, left handed hitter up and you'll have three right fielders. You'll have two guys out in right field, and one guy playing short right field like a softball team. Mm. Yeah. And then you have two second basemen because the guys can't bunt to third base. Third base is wide open yeah. mm. and they can't bunt. You know, mm-hmm. in, the, in the 1960s, even the sluggers, guys like Mickey Mantle, weren't ashamed to lay down a bunt. Today, you hardly ever see that played. Wow. And they're all swinging for the fences. Strikeouts are way up, too. Interesting. Strikeouts, stri- strikeouts back in the, uh, in my book, I compared some analytics from 1979 to, 19, to 2019. And in 1979, the strikeout rate was about somewhere between 14 and 16 percent. Oh, wow. Now it's up over 20 percent. Oh, so significant. Yeah, I mean. Balls yeah, yeah. aren't being put into play like yeah. they used to be. Um, wow. Guys are swinging, they're swinging more with an uppercut yeah. on purpose to try to hit home runs rather than swinging level sure. to hit line drives. And what it results in is, is more home runs, but it's also more strikeouts, which to me is, is boring. Is that just the nature of how baseball's progressed? Is that coaching techniques? Is that, I, I mean, what's that, how do you, what do you attribute that to? It's, it's, coaching, it's coaching techniques and it's coaches who believe that they'd rather see a three-run home run than station-to-station baseball, which is sometimes called small ball. You know, move the runner up, get a single, steal second, bunt the runner over to third, and then bring him home. You know, it's rather, let's get up there and swing for defenses, and, you know, two two of the next six hitters might hit a home run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really fast. So, um, 
what are your hopes with this book? Do you feel? Do you hope that it, it's just a creative <laughs> interpretation of baseball? Do you hope it inspires people to think differently? Like, who do you? What are your hopes for this book? Who do you think would most enjoy reading this? Is it just baseball fans? Is it people? Because I'm not a huge baseball guy, but I got through the book in about three days because it was just invigorating, you know, and finding out you got friends throughout the book is kind of odd. I mean, (laughs) Kurt appeared. So what what would be your hopes of this? Is it was it yeah. just more of like I needed to get something out, so I stopped throwing things at my television? <laughs> well, it, it started that way, yeah, yeah. actually, but it's it's evolved. It's yeah. evolved quite a bit. Mm. Um, I just wanted to have a good book that I could be proud of, that could be a legacy. And when I say it could be a legacy, uh, I'm thinking about for my grandkids. Mm. I have a granddaughter eight and a granddaughter five, yeah. and I wanted this book to be a book that is up on the shelf after I'm dead and gone, yeah. 75 years from now, and my granddaughters maybe, or their, their kids will say, you know what, look up on the shelf there. My great, great grandpa wrote a book. Maybe I can write a book. Maybe he was the uh, genius that saved yeah. baseball. <laughs> but I, I've always been an encourager. Yeah. I like to encourage people to, to do things and try to accomplish things. So I viewed my book as something where I could encourage others to write after I'm no longer here. Mm. So that was, that was kind of a... It's really cool. It was an interesting twist. Yeah, yeah, for mm. sure. Kurt, yeah, I now, mean, Bob, um, there's another dimension to this book that's, that's evolved, and that is the potential for it to be turned into a movie. And what you shared with me before was that um, your publisher and your editor were focused in that regard, and the book was, according to you, the book is, was written with that in mind. Isn't that true? That's absolutely true. Uh, it's, it was a movie in my head from the very beginning. I just had to put it on paper first. And it was interesting because I told my publishing coach that I wanted to uh, have it converted into a film. And he told me, well, you know, that can be done uh, as an independent film. I know a guy down in L.A. and it would require investors. We'd need to raise between 5 and $15 million and it can be reality. <laughs> And I first, <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was hilarious. And as I thought about it a little more, I thought, why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I think it could be a, I, I think it could be a classic baseball movie. Yeah. I really believe that it could be, uh, when I was writing it, it was more like Field of Dreams or The Sandlot. And, mm. and both of you have read the book, so you know yeah. there's some humor. In, there's quite Absolutely. a bit of humor. One yeah. of the characters is quite the, yes. quite the punster. <laughs> um, so there's quite a bit of humor in it. There's some romance and mm-hmm. there's some drama. Yeah. Yeah. And like any good story, there's some tragedy to overcome. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so and you got the rock and roll. You're in Nashville. Yeah. It's a yeah. Cool t- I mean, there's, there's a lot of really amazing, fun pieces that make this something that would easily be watched. Yeah. Oh, easily. Yeah. I mean, you could have, there's so many dynamic characters in the book. It would just be so entertaining. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I just totally believe that it could, it could be a movie and it should be a movie. And I'm working on that. And it started to get a little bit of traction. You know, I've told, I've started telling everybody that I want to have it converted into film and I'm seeking investors. Yeah. And I've got some fishing lines out there that, you know, somebody's saying, well, I know this person that, you know, is pretty well healed and might want to kick in. And I know somebody else that said, yeah, if this gets some traction, I'll kick in 50 to 100,000 myself. Wow. Um, so 
you know, I'm continuing to put the word out there. Yeah. So you never know. Jeff Bezos is listening. This yeah. Just, I mean, this, yeah. It's a one check right here. You yeah. yeah well, I'm, I'm thinking this. this uh, Amazon Prime, baby. This pod, <laughs> podcast here is going to blow up. Yeah, so, I mean, there's you know. a listener to this. That, that, yeah. This, this I can just see check. me holding up my remote at home, you know. Amazon Prime, please. <laughs> the genius who stole baseball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, um, if you were to put together like a, uh, I'm going to call out a couple positions in baseball, and you tell me. If you were to put your dream team, who'd you put in this position, Ooh, okay? Yeah. If you had, I mean, this can be living, dead, any year. Mm. Who'd you put on the mound? Mm. Satchel Page. Oh, baby. Okay. Satchel yeah. Page. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Satchel Page. I never saw him pitch, but I've read so much about him. And he was the master of deception. Oh. You know, he had all different arm angles. He had different... Um, so many different pitches, and he had interesting names for him. I think he called one of them his hurry-up pitch. And, you know, he had his own interesting names for him. But he was, he, he was the master of changing speeds and deception. Wow. I was a pitcher myself, and I couldn't throw all that hard, but I, I had to rely on deception mm. and different mm. arm angles and good curveball. And so I've always admired pitchers that, you know, if somebody's just got brute force and they can throw 105 yeah, miles an sure. hour, yeah. you know, they're going to do pretty well. But yeah. to me, the art of pitching is, is deceiving the batter. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's so much more entertaining to watch that kind of game, yeah. that kind of yeah. pitcher. And Satchel pitched for so many years because he, he didn't have the kind of throw that would destroy his arm in a shorter period yeah. of time. He actually pitched, I believe he was 58, and yeah. it was more of a publicity stunt when <laughs> wow. the Kansas City um, yeah. Athletics, I think it's Charlie Finley, brought him in as a publicity stunt to pitch a game, and he was like 58 years old. Oh, oh man. My gosh. And that he pitched a couple innings, and he did, he did just fine. God, that's incredible. Who, what other position? Shortstop. Oh, yeah. Cal Ripken. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. Cal Ripken. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people don't credit Cal Ripken as being one of the greatest defensive shortstops of all time, but I do. Hmm. And one of the reasons is he wasn't as flashy as, say, some other guys like yeah. Ozzie Smith, who sure. used to do the cartwheels yeah. and things. Yeah. You know, Cal just looked, you know. He made it look easy. He made it look hmm. easy, and he's, he's big, and he had positioning. And also, I had season tickets to the Orioles during his heyday. Ooh, so really? I, I watched him play many, many games. Oh, gosh. And he rarely, he actually had a higher fielding percentage than Ozzie Smith and I think yeah. most any other shortstop. Wow. Yeah. But when they talk about the greatest shortstop of all time, he doesn't normally get mentioned because he wasn't as flashy. Yeah. But that goes back to bat, uh, baseball IQ. He was the type of guy that knew where to position himself based on who, the, who was pitching and who the batter was. Mm. Exactly. And that's really extremely valuable in any sport, actually, to have that high kind of IQ. But he had it. Yeah. He had it. He yeah. had it in spades. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Who would you put in left field? That'll be my last one. Hmm. Left field. That could be pretty much any outfielder. Um, I wish you'd said center field. I would have said okay, Mickey. Okay, center field. Mickey Mantle. Okay. okay. The Mick. The Mick. The Mick. He was my boyhood hero. Yeah, really. I know. I always wanted to meet Mickey Mantle. Yeah. And I had a chance once. He came out of the locker room, and I was a little kid waiting for his autograph. I'll never forget. He was like a god. He was wearing a blue blazer. And he came walking towards me, and I said, Mr. Mantle, Mr. Mantle, can I have your autograph? And he didn't even look at me. He just got right on the bus, yeah. you know. And I understand Friendly. he had some issues and yeah. stuff back yeah. then. But so no, I forgive him. But um, I was kind of crushed. Oh sure. You know, because <laughs> he didn't give me his autograph. He just yeah. kind of ignored and me. And he was your hero. And this then, wasn't just some Joe Schmo. This exactly. Was a, yeah. yeah. And, th and then I was I was crestfallen. I was over on the side, kind of head down, and another player came out. 
and I didn't recognize this other player. And I just sheepishly held out my autograph book, and the player signed it. And it was Bobby Richardson. <laughs> oh, wow. And Bobby Richardson gave me everything Mantle didn't give me. Bobby Richardson gave me. Oh, he right. kind of rubbed my head like, hey, kid, thanks for coming out oh. to the game today. And yeah. had a nice conversation with me, and so I became a Bobby Richardson fan. How cool. old were you at this time? After that, I was probably about 12. Oh, man. Time. That is so cool. Yeah. Hey, wh- one more. Yeah. Uh, a manager. Manager. Wow. Good question. I got to go with one of the feisty ones. That would either be uh, Earl Weaver or um, Lou Pinella, you know? <laughs> Everybody likes a good argument, right? Yeah. And guys and Tommy Lasorda. Kick dirt on the umpire a little bit, you know? Um, turn his hat around backwards and would go nose to nose with the umpire. And, yeah. you know, so, yeah. I'd probably Earl Weaver or Lou Pinella. Yeah. Wow. You know, yeah. The old, some of the old school guys. Yeah. So if, if people, uh, which I would assume they're listening and they go, in, this sounds like it could be a fun book. This guy's super sharp. Where do, where do people find this book? How do yeah. they figure out more about you? Where, if they wanted to contact you, how would you tell them to get a hold of you? Well, I'll give you all my contact information because <laughs> it's actually in my book on page 16. I think I'm one of the few authors that I should put my cell <laughs> number and my email address yeah. in my book. Okay. Um, encourage readers to write to me. And again, that was one of my rookie mistakes maybe, but it really, or inexperienced caused me to do that but it's worked out beautifully and yeah. I'm hearing from readers all time hmm. um, so I'll give you my email it's um, Bob Ingram 7 the number 7 okay. after Mickey Mantle was number right. 7 there you go. Bob Ingram 7 at AOL um, my website is the name of the book dot com the genius who saved baseball dot com okay. and that's a great place to buy the book because I can I can sign it for you and personalize it and, and mail it out. You know, wow. If you go through Amazon, I, I can't break into the Amazon warehouse and, <laughs> in the middle of the night and, and sign my book and mail it to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and plus, Amazon's a great place to buy, but not a great place to sell. Yeah. You know, they take forever to pay us, and no, I know they how take that is. a pretty healthy cut. So, so the yeah. genius who say baseball.com. The, the genius who say baseball.com. That's awesome. Yeah. Could you? So, uh, in closing, Bob, um, I want to share this story. Uh, you were in here in Barbecue to You. Yep. And showing, displaying your book and talking to customers who had come in. And this fellow came in who's a friend of mine, um, Jim Hines. <laughs> Jim Hines. Jim Hines. And uh, he, you didn't know him. And he walks up and he's talking to you about the book. And he buys the book because he's a baseball fan. And he takes it home. He reads it. He comes in a couple weeks later. And you're here again. And he comes up to you and reintroduces himself and says, this is the best book I've ever read. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that... That totally blew my mind. Um, yeah, I didn't know him from Adam. He bought my book and was in, I think it was about a month and a half later. Yeah. And he came in, and frankly, at that time, I didn't, I didn't recognize him. I'd only seen him once. Yeah. And he said, yeah, I was in a few weeks ago, and I bought your book, and best book I've ever read. <laughs> and I, I just, first, I didn't know how to react. I was yeah. just so, so taken by what he said. I'm so grateful, mm. and we've since become friends. And you know, he's a big, big supporter of yeah. mine, and has helped promote the book. But that's that's such a great compliment coming from him because of the extensive career, business career that he has had in yeah. marketing. Oh yeah, uh, it's just r- really impressive to have that kind of su- um, support and appreciation for what you put together. Yeah. Yeah. So, and um, and I wanted to mention something else too that I think was uh, something that my inexperience caused me to do that turned out to be really good 
and th- and that is that I included the names of a lot of my friends in the book. Yeah, that's um, cool. And I did that to amuse myself. I thought, you know, <laughs> hey, when I'm writing this book, if I, because I, I needed lots of minor characters. Sure. You know, I needed um, some newspaper reporters. I needed some cab drivers. So instead of using uh, some random name, Joe Smith, I used names of friends of mine. And yeah. I didn't tell them. I used them all in favorable lights, I'll tell yeah, you. Sure. But I didn't tell my friends. And I had 80, when I went back and counted, I had 86 of my friends' names in the book. Oh, my goodness. And I didn't tell them that they were in the book. So they'd buy the book, and then they'd um, see their name and <laughs> page 37 or page yeah. 240. And they'd call me up, and they'd just be freaked out in a good way. That's you know, so cool. It's funny. I'll tell you one quick story on that. I had this one friend of mine. He, uh, His name's John Kelly. And uh, I had a need for a base runner, and it was, it was in a baseball uh, scene in the story. And so um, John Kelly made it to first base, and I sent in a pinch runner for him because I said John Kelly is a little bit slow, and he runs like he's got bricks in his pants. <laughs> so my buddy John Kelly calls me up one day, and first of all, I waited forever. It took him forever to read the book. And so he finally, yeah, you, knew be, you knew when he was reading it because you knew you were going to get a phone call. I knew I was going to get a phone call, <laughs> but I didn't tell him he was in it. Sure. So he finally calls me up, and he says, you mean I had to wait to get to page 337 <laughs> to realize that I run slow as crap and I got bricks in my pants? <laughs> like, so, sorry, man. Somebody had to have that yeah, role. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was fine, but I didn't, you know, I didn't do that for any other reason than to amuse myself, but it turned out to be a pretty good pretty yeah. good thing to do Absolutely. it was great well the book's amazing you should be really proud of it i think that will last on uh bookshelves for a long time and your great grandkids will look back and go oh great 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 grandpa bob yep. wrote a really good book for us and it's it's still going so hopefully you'd come back on the show with yeah. us thank you i'd love yeah, to give I, us an update on the, on the movie progress yeah, yeah. i really thank you. appreciate being uh being your first guest hey, glad thank to have you, you man. yeah the look genius forward to who more saved baseball.com is where you can get a copy yeah. of bob's book up next we're gonna be talking to gary parker who started barbecue to you yeah. and uh we're recording in his spot and he is up on the docket we see him sitting here ready for the interview We'll talk about Texas barbecue and why it beats everyone else's barbecue in the world. And we'll talk about his story, how we got here, and what makes it so special. So join us next time. Kurt, hey. thanks, man. Thank you, man. See ya. All right. Thank you for listening to Barbecue, Booze, and Bullshit. We'll be back next time having conversations with the amazing people who make up the great Pacific Northwest.